The church, yeah. I mean, the church, it receives Christ and it receives the gift of salvation. And so in some ways we are all that recipient, which is, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's, it's like trying to lead that, like two people trying to lead that dance. It just gets awkward real quick. You're like clinking. It's like the prom dances we all still used to go to, right? Like, uh, did you go to prom when you were in high school? This side of paradise, welcome to Eden Revisited, the podcast that puts shovel to soil and cultivates those interior gardens for the reenchantment of culture. Join us as we get to the wonder by getting in the dirt and sowing the seeds of faith. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Eden Revisited. This is your host, Nick Paternos, and I'm joined today by one of the OG podcast hosts, Austin Kleiss. It's been a long, I, I had to say that because it's been a long time since the two of us have podcasted. I don't, I don't remember the last time, honestly, but Austin, welcome. How you doing, man? Thank you. Doing well. Yeah. I don't, I don't remember the last time either. It's, it's been a while. These, the, these things kind of just like evolve um, and the podcast has definitely evolved as we've moved and gotten into different states of life, all that sort of stuff. So it's good to be good to be back, back talking to you. Yeah. I'm in Seattle. You're in New Haven, but still doing the pod. Um, yeah. Do you think it just occurred to me for the first time, hmm. what do you think is New Haven, like New Heaven? Haven, safe place. New uh, safe place. I don't know. I guess, I guess it might be a shortened anglicized word for, for heaven. I don't know. New Haven's super old, isn't it? Like when was New Haven founded? I don't, yeah, I don't know. I, I should know. Um, what is Seattle then? Like what's sea, ta- sea tattle? Sea, <laughs> what is that? It's named after Chief Seattle, Chief of the Duwamish tribe, um, who was actually a Christian uh, and had a, had a really cool story. Um, I was telling our students the other day about Chief Seattle because it was his death day engine at some point so there you go yeah um dude i am just uncomfortable sitting here with uh i got so scorched in san diego i was just telling you about uh, my wedding fiasco um not mine but getting locked in a locked in a bathroom almost missed a good buddy's wedding that was like you know 10 minutes long um almost missed it but then i got scorched by the sun i hadn't seen the sun it's been the rainiest coldest cloudiest spring in seattle on record in like 43 years and then i go to san diego where i haven't seen sun and i got demolished uh (laughs) it's it's funny because you and morgan typically have your sunscreen program like dialed in like it's i know people don't see us on the pod but i remember a few hikes we went on i think daniel was there too where your face was just like ghost pale because because <laughs> you guys use sunscreen that was like all natural and i think it was just like ground up chalk in water or something <laughs> yeah probably well you know i i i'm usually pretty good about not getting burnt on arms and legs i'm like oh, I'll, I'll do the sunscreen on the face and the neck and the and the shoulders but i my legs got destroyed like I, I think I fell asleep on the beach for a little bit or at the pool. I have like a uh, a sun rash that hasn't gone away. 
it's 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 terrible but did you, you know, go swim it do you go swim in the waves i miss i, miss the I did i did i did a little boogie boarding um you know caught some sweet waves and <laughs> rode them all to the shore <laughs> nice yeah it was a good time but one of the things that i was doing on that vacay was finishing up this book here introduction to christianity by Joseph Cardinal Ratzinger, aka Pope Emeritus Benedict the Sixteenth, um, and I've been working on this book for a good six months. So I feel very accomplished that this thing is finally off my reading list, and I can move on. It was excellent, but it was a slog. Uh, but just like I was telling Austin earlier, like you know, I'd go through like forty-page spurts of this is absolutely amazing, highlight, 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 and then I wouldn't read it again for six weeks and then pick it up again. Uh, and so. it's not, it's misleading that it's an introduction to Christianity. It's not an introductory text. I would say it's, it is, it is not easy to understand some of those pages. I, I read it, but it was like, I had to read it like twice. I feel like I've read this book twice because I've read so many, like reread so many of those different passages. Cause he's some of it's very hard to understand. Yeah, I went through on the plane and just reread my notes, my underlines, my marginal annotations, and that was super helpful. Um, but my dad, as I was reading this, he asked me the question, oh, that looks interesting. What's it about? And I just kind of looked at him and said, uh, I've been working on this book for six months and I can't really tell you what it's about. And that felt really embarrassing. Uh, it was also a reason for wanting to do this podcast to kind of distill down what is Ratzinger's message. And we started this book together and we were going to have these like bi-weekly check-ins and talk about all of the beautiful things that we're reading. It happened half a time, maybe. Yeah, hardly. Uh, yeah, because we're on very different pages and schedules and that was aspirational but I was thinking to myself like yes I need to go through and do this exercise because this was an excellent book people should read it I don't want to scare people off uh, but what was the central theme and you know if if we're going to start I, I, I figured maybe we look at the very last sentence on page 359 of the book and go from there so here's Ratzinger's claim. Uh, he says that a salvation of the world does exist. Okay. Salvation of the world does exist. That is the confidence that supports the Christian. And that still makes it rewarding even today to be a Christian. Boom. So he's saying salvation exists. Therefore, you can have confidence and have this nice, warm, cozy feeling inside that it's rewarding to be a Christian. So I thought what we could do is unpack that. Why be a Christian? In other words, should we bother at all? Is it worth it? Uh, that might be kind of biting off more than we can chew, but I don't know. <laughs> should we just, can we start there? Yeah, it's a, uh, it's a bold claim. And I, I think the, the thing starting at the very beginning of the book that struck me when he was talking about this is I think a lot of us feel, I know I often feel that being a Christian in today's world is somewhat akin to the story he uses of a, of a clown whose circus is on fire, 
and the circus is on fire. And so this clown runs over to the village and is dancing around saying, jumping up and down saying the circus, the circus is on fire. The circus is on fire. And everyone just kind of looks at them, looks at the clown and says, you're crazy. Like you're a clown, funny, whatever. And just goes about their normal life. It can feel like this sort of gaslighting or this, um, this kind of, we're at this cultural moment where it's like, why, why should I keep doing this thing? People think I'm like, I believe in like, you know, all these weird mystical, like floating magical things that have, that make no sense and are beyond all reason or, or, or rather kind of antagonized against reason. And um, it's really like the kind of getting pushed to the back of kind of this, the, I don't know, the consciousness of, of culture. And so it's like, you're, you feel like you're in this clown moment of like, if you say you're a Christian, anything that comes out of your mouth after that is like, okay, well, whatever you say, we're not going to believe you. I don't know. Do you feel that way? Yeah. And, and I think the questions that are typically asked are not necessarily, why are you a Christian? We have to ask that in to ourselves. Uh, but the questions we're typically asked are, what do you believe? Um, mm-hmm. Or how could you possibly believe that? Or what rules do you have to follow? What is, what is the Pope saying about pets today or heaven and hell today or uh, in in it's a lot of these one-off topics what 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 sort of thing but we have to ask ourselves because it can be this disconcerting experience or what the heck I'm, I'm a clown running around you know shouting fire and there is a fire uh and people are just amused by it. it's like no i have to actually understand the why uh and settle into it. And that's what I think Ratzinger is trying to do as an introduction. And maybe why I was struggling so much to tell my dad the gist of the book is because it's not like a bit by bit uh, what. It's a comprehensive whole that at the end of the day is like, ah, it's, it, it is a reward, rewarding aha. I get it. But only if you understand the whole if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, in, in order to do that, he does go through a logical sequence of the creed. You know, he goes through uh, the, the points of the Apostles' Creed, the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit, the Church, and that sort of thing. Um, so there is a progression to it. Um, but, you know, even Ratzinger's definition of being a Christian, I think, is, is helpful. Uh, what is Christianity? And he has a few great one-liners in here, but one of my favorites is he's, he says that Christianity, it's, it's more than just salvation from sin. Like if it, if it stops there, that's, it's kind of boring. It's kind of narrow. Uh, it is kind of pessimistic that, you know, we only do this religion to, to, to save ourselves from some, from certain death. Uh, there's more to it than that. Being a Christian means you are a recipient of a gift, not a donor, but a recipient. Uh, And you are not necessarily a Christian by birth. You're not born a Christian. You become a Christian through rebirth, right? Right? Through, Through baptism by saying yes. And there's a constant rebirth. There's a changing over from being for oneself to being for 
another person. That in Ratzinger's mind is Christianity, changing over from being for oneself to being for another. Um, and then, gosh, belief fits into that too. But I don't know, from your reading, Austin, like, is how does that square with, with your understanding here? Yeah, I think that's I think that's exactly right. And obviously Ratzinger would get pushback from maybe some someone who might disagree with that definition, but it's very um, historical in a lot of ways because I think the the clarifying point here is is Christianity is primarily a gift that you participate in. Um, it's it's and he talks about this. It's it's this. Um, it's this grace that's given in rebirth. And we think of that in, in baptism, but then it's something that beyond that, it's not just given and then it's done. That's like this gift that stops. It's a gift that then you get to be creative in um, the way maybe to think about it is it's like a dance that's led. And it's like, you get to participate in this dance that is led. Um, and this is very, I think key to his idea of the church and like, the bride bridegroom concept um, that he kind of builds on and, and why he, he spent so much time talking about Christ as being the savior and the, the title Christ as the Messiah and, and coming to the church. Um, but, you know, maybe that's getting far afield. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think getting that, that definition of the Christian as being someone who is reborn and participating in this gift that is first from God and then participated from, you know, by us. It's not participate. We don't make the first move. Um, God does. Certainly. And today it just seems like everything can be, and maybe this is throughout all of history. This is, this is the archetypal question, right? Like why, why is this so difficult for mankind to understand? I think mankind always wants to be in the driver's seat. It's not just today. It's easy to say, Oh, the problems of today, but we as human beings stumble when we try and have the control panel at our fingertips uh, when we try and play God. Uh, it, it just it just doesn't seem to, to turn out well. And whenever whenever I screw up, I'm like, I was trying to <laughs> lead this conversation or I was trying to lead this this action in a certain way and just forcing my hand in in, in how I you know, would, would want the, the outcome to, to go. Uh, but Christianity is much, in a sense, it's passive. Uh, we are to, to accept our role as, as recipients. And that's super hard for me as a Enneagram type one, type A personality to be a recipient. Um, it's really, really hard. Well, the church, yeah. I mean, the church, is talked about in the feminine and this way of receptivity of um, it receives Christ and it receives the gift of salvation. It receives the gift of the life of Christ. Um, and so in some ways we are all that recipient, which is, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's, it's like trying to lead that, like two people trying to lead that dance, you know, mm -hmm. um, it just gets awkward real quick. You're like clinking. It's like the prom dances we all used to go to, right? Like, did you go to prom when you were in high school? And yes, I did. And your girlfriend was like trying to lead you <laughs> in a circle. And you're like, yes, please. Yeah, I feel like I only did the slow dances and they were like so awkward. Um, it's like, are you going to step on my toes? Or are you? am I going to step on your toes first? 
Should we right. step on each host together? <laughs> it's easy to be led where it should be. It should be easy to be led. But, you know, we we are a take the bulls by the horn sort of culture. Uh, and you have to you have to drive. And it's well, I, and I don't know what you think about this, but like, I think even our ability to understand this concept that you're talking about right now, it's like, why should I let some, like, if I was inquiring about Christianity, like, why would I even think this is reasonable? It's like almost our, the, the Overton window of what we think is reasonable is, is kind of gone too, because we are in such a, such a time and place where knowledge is power and um, it's different than faith, right? Like it's just different having a mind of, you know, like a heart of faith versus a heart of like exactitude knowledge. Um, I'm going to create my destiny. I'm going to create my path. I'm going to go out and, you know, make a name for myself uh, versus God like I'm a canvas show me show me the path that you want me to take uh it's it's a it's a mindset shift it's it is literally a conversion and he and Ratzinger talks about belief this very act of giving yourself over to belief it's a conversion of following the illusion of the tangible we are in this illusion that we can control things the illusion that we can manipulate right and grasp the physical world and and conform it to our own image belief is saying ah, that that doesn't have primacy anymore and if you're able to say that you you truly have belief because you are saying you are not it that there is something else or someone else besides you that's that, that's greater um, what is i mean it's almost i i imagine maybe some of the mentoring that you give to teachers in this in the classroom of like i would imagine coming into like a fourth grade classroom or something the first day thinking you're gonna on day one have this whole class do your will and like you're gonna control it in some ways i would imagine that's probably not how it works out it's more of kind of like riding with the current and a participation in like a yin yang back and forth sort of thing i don't know is there is there a is there a metaphor that could be made there of like like the idea of trying to grasp the classroom and like change all these little kids, you know, grab them by their ponytails and like face forward. I don't know. Is there something there? I mean, fourth grade, you just got to lay down the law. No. Is it just laying down the law in fourth grade? <laughs> no, it's, it's for, for this fourth grader. Yeah. Um, but it's about relationship and, and it's so crazy when I read this from what I think is a very theological dense book to hear these adult men, theologians, talk so much about relationship. It's like, oh, that seems like a very wishy-washy word, but relationship and love and in sacrifice, that is super, super common. So, you know, in the classroom, the teacher, what a good teacher does is show first and foremost, even before they start teaching their lessons, is that they they care for their students, that they're going to go the distance for them, that they're going to establish some sort of rapport. And then, then the sheep can follow. Uh, I, I think Jesus is right. The model teacher, Jesus shows us that he's going to go the distance for us so that we can in return do it in some small <laughs> shadowy type of way. Um, 
but I, yeah, I mean, it makes sense. I think he, another line he has in, in there about belief is that, um, that belief is different than techne. I don't know if you remember this part, but he talks yeah. about this idea of yeah. techne and techne being a, a certain way to understand the world of very materialistic, philosophically materialistic of, um, you, you first, um, know the past and then you do something with it like you know and then how are you going to use that in some way to like transform the future so you know the world you know what a what a desk is made of you know like what happened like you know atomic theory you know all these different things and then it's the next step is all about forming the world to your knowledge like forming the next thing versus this idea of belief which is to stand and then understand something. So you first stand in kind of this current and he uses this great, great description from this play. Um, I won't go into it now, but this great description of this guy floating in the ocean from the play of we first have to stand in something that we believe and then through standing in it and through like the, the virtue that takes, we will come to understand, we'll come to wisdom, which is, a, which is a completely hard thing to understand, you know, get, but it's that receptivity again. It's that, I, that mind of a Christian, which is not about first doing, but it's about first receiving that grace. I don't know. Is that too, was that too far? Did I take that too far? No, d- totally not. Uh, because I think I, I liked how you put that, where you stand, if you stand somewhere, you start to sit with the problem, you start to see it, and then you start to accept it. Um, you may be able to accept that you don't have the skill set to solve it, that you need outside intervention or whatnot. Maybe you even do come up with here are some some tangible actions going forward. But first, if you stand or understand, there's a primacy of acceptance over immediate action. Where we get in trouble is where we we are reactionary. And gosh, I've made so many stupid, stupid missteps as a principal in my first year. And when I think back on it, it's like, it's because I was being reactionary instead of standing in the problem, right? Instead of sitting there and being like, all right, I'm going to accept what's going on right now, uh, thinking it over, even praying about it versus immediately going to, to action mode. And that's what, that, that, that's also what grace is, um, because he talks about, you know, grace is the primacy of acceptance over action. And uh, we need to give ourselves over to this excess of grace, this acceptance of grace, because again, as we've been saying, we can't do it ourselves. Ratzinger says, if it depended on man, no one could enter into heaven. No one, if it depended on man. So I loved his, uh, his, this, this was kind of a, a motif of this, of this book, grace and, or excuse me, um, excess, the excess of grace. Um, and he says that excess is the definition or the mark of salvation. That, that's a big point. Excess, superfluity is the mark of salvation. So today, you know, left and right, these political wings, right? They, they hold up the bar and say, you know, do you meet our criteria? do meet our standards. If, if you don't measure up, you're gone. What, what that's a, it's a totally different paradigm in Christianity. There's no measuring up. It's a, it's a showing up and we receive an excess that makes us saved. Um, 
it plays into the, I mean, this is, I think this point can't be underestimated this um, excess and this acceptance. Um, <clears throat> it plays into everyday life because accepting this sort of salvation is very different than the other way. That's also, uh, you know, is the maybe non-Christian way, if I'll be so bold, is the trying to create salvation, right? Like trying to create something that is akin to salvation. How do we do that? Well, we we try to control. How do we try to control? Well, that could that could be like building fortunes on earth. It could be, you know, um, trying to, you know, secure our, our future in a particular way, you know, getting a, a particular job. It could be, you know, getting our kids into a, a particular place. We're in some ways, we in some ways have to do some of these things, but in a, in a way we're trying to secure our salvation. Um, and we're trying to create it. Um, we're trying, we got, we had this idea that or we have this idea. I have this idea sometimes that it's like, if I can just manipulate the, all the right things that I can create, I can create my salvation. I can create a sort of better place. Like, a, like I'll start at sort of building my life into a utopia and, and like, okay, once I get this job or once I move to this place, or I have these friends, we're always waiting to be virtuous and to be, um, I don't know, kind of in this, this utopic mind, it's like, I, I don't know. Is that. Well, yeah. In, 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 to get to there, wherever your, your brain is telling you that you need to get to, you need resources, you need intellect, you need other people to help you. You need material resources. You need human capital, education, you need resources. And the first thing that we, we teach in economics, right. Is that resources are scarce. There are only so many resources to go around. And that you have to go out and earn those resources every day because someone else might get them. So we operate from a from a mentality of scarcity that there aren't there isn't enough to go around. So I have to go get mine before uh, they get theirs, or so that I can catch up and put enough in my 401k and retire when I'm 65 and whatever whatever it is. There's there's so many different modes that you can get into, but we operate or I operate from a mentality of, of scarcity, the primary, uh, most of the time. Whereas what Christianity is trying to get us towards is operate from a mentality of excess. And the New Testament is filled with these examples, you know, the wedding feast at Cana, excess, you know, more wine than could go around. And it was the best wine. The, an obvious example with the multiplication of the loaves and the fishes, uh, an example of excess, um, the Eucharist. That's a gift that, you know, we, we are not worthy to receive, but we, but we've been given it anyways. Um, Lord, you're not worthy to enter into my roof, mm. but only say the word. Uh, that's, that's excess. That's the mark of salvation. Again, we didn't earn any of that. There's no resources that we can acquire to get us there. Uh, it's, it's gift. It's given. We're recipients. It's, it's such a good point you make. It's like, the the difference between scarcity the scarcity mindset and the generosity mindset or the the, the mindset that's operating off of this sort of excess or generosity it's like i when you're talking about the biblical examples i was thinking of um abraham and you know the the promise of generations of his generations will fill the earth you know using that generous word um 
And I also think of like, well, what if we operated with the mindset of scarcity in our own families? Like, what if parents were thinking, well, if I have a third kid, you know, um, we might all have to get a little more competitive with each other. And, you know, we're going to be kind of competing for these limited resources. Yeah. Maybe there's some practical realities of if you have 12 kids, you know, they're there, it might be tough, you know, financially and different things, but it's like, I don't think most parents think about it that way. It's like, Oh, another, another kid, this is a blessing. Like this is, this is a gift, right? You know, that's the word that's used. And in some ways in our life, I think that generosity can make a lot of sense. In other ways, it's hard. You know, once we, now, once we start dealing with the outside world and dealing with, you know, the future and all these things, now it's like, okay, we have this false dichotomy that everything's scarce, right? That there's only 40,000 iPhones in the world and I have to get one. And it's often just, you know, created scarcity. It's not even a real sort of scarcity, but imagine if, if we operated like that in our families. Um, Mm -hmm. So there's an instinct in us. There's a Christian instinct that operates already off of excess and it's like reawakening that in the, in the public mind, maybe, I don't know. Rod Singer doesn't use that example, but you know, maybe that's one way to think of it. Sure. And, you know, maybe we pivot a little bit because, again, Ratzinger is making claims about salvation. Salvation implies being saved. Uh, So there is a very real heaven. There's a very real hell. And he does go ahead and define what those are. But if we look at it again through this lens of scarcity and gift and excess, hell is simply the unwillingness to receive the state of being in a Un, unwilling state to receive anything. And if you're unwilling to receive anything, that is that is true loneliness. I think that's how he basically summarizes how more less so a week, I'm not getting into the, the finer theological points, less so a place, but more so a, a state of loneliness and, and isolation that no one can touch me and I can't be touched. Uh, nothing can penetrate that. Whereas heaven on the flip side, is simply being man or being woman, being that with the being of God, uh, where those realities kind of kiss and intersect. That is uh, like, that's relationship. That is, that is being filled to the brim with something that we couldn't conjure up on our own. Um, I don't know if you reflected too much on, on that in your, your second reading of, of this, but yeah, it's, uh, yeah, it's actually something I wrote down of his point on hell was really, was really eye-opening to me. He, um, he talks about this example, um, of loneliness inherent in the human condition. Right. Um, and he says, take, for example, like a child walking through the wood or being alone in a graveyard. These are experiences that elicit fear. Um, yet there's no, like not a fear of a particular thing. It's like primordial, right? It's just a fear of this sort of primordial thing. We don't have to think of anything particular. It's like you're in a graveyard, you're alone. It's scary. There's a loneliness, there's a fear. And then he kind of relates that to um, like, if you're afraid of a particular thing, for example, like a dog, who's about to attack you, you, you chain it up, you chain up the dog, and then you're no longer afraid. You get a big, strong chain around it. You're no longer afraid. The dog's chained up. Okay. So your reason solved that one, right? Now let's say you're alone again in that dark forest. Um, and you're walking with somebody, even if it's a weak child, now you're, there's two of you and you're no longer afraid, right? Your loneliness, 
your fear has been solved because you're with another person. And so he talks about it. This is the second level of like solving this loneliness. And this is really cool. I know it's, it's a long point, but, um, and then there's this, there's this third loneliness that humans can't penetrate, which is death. Like this final sort of unknown you're going, you can't take your friends, your family, you know, the chain, anything with you. And you're going into death, right? And you're going into this ultimate loneliness. Well, this is what Christ did. He went into this first. And so that's the ultimate penetration of death is, um, you know, we see Christ going even into hell. What is he doing? He's going even into that loneliness, that darkest fear, you know, fearful place. And in, in some theological way, there's even a penetration there. And so it's like, um, to go through death, you know, by going into death, he conquered death. And it's like, uh, that's, there's something deep there as relates to loneliness. I don't know if that actually builds on your point. But. Yeah, no, uh, I, I think that it's, that's one of the misconceptions that I wanted to make a note of too, because there is a big emphasis on, on death and dying and it's particularly in, in the Catholic worldview where in, in suffering, you know, we, we have good Friday and whatnot. Obviously it doesn't end on good Friday. We have the Easter resurrection, but a lot of people from the outside, they do look at Christianity like that's super morbid. Like, why do you care so much about pain and suffering and fasting and asceticism and all these things? And they, they're not Christianity for that. And they say, well, it, it's like, why don't you just live with freedom and true excess, right? Why are you limiting yourself? Uh, and Ratzinger says, well, you know, if Christianity really were about pain and suffering, then the real priests in this religion would, would have been the Roman executioners, you know, because they put Christ to death. You know, we would, we would be celebrating them. Uh, they would be the real priests, but obviously that's, that's not the point. Christ went through death. As you said, he goes, he goes into hell, descends into hell. There's, there's a ton of great theological stuff on, on that in this book um, that I learned a ton on, but then it goes, it, go, it goes beyond. It has to, like we have this this hope in the in the resurrection. Otherwise, we wouldn't have this this confidence and this warm fuzzy feeling of being rewarded for being Christian. Uh, but it has to go beyond. And his whole point again is, love is stronger than death. Uh, again, grown man, very erudite, uh, but saying like love is key. Love is love is key. Um, and in that whole concept affects the way that we worship and that Christians worship. Um, there's a reason why, you know, particularly in, in our Catholic faith, we don't go and just listen to good, good music for our worship service. Like there's, there's, there's love there that is being exchanged in a good praise and worship song to God and, and whatnot, but our worship is very interesting. So I want to talk a little bit about this too, um, because the old way of doing worship in the old Testament was that human beings would make a sacrifice to God, right? I'm going through the Bible in the Year podcast with Father Mike Schmitz right now. And it, oh my gosh, like the number of things that were slaughtered in these temples um, and to, to, to make sacrifices to God is, is just absolutely absurd. Um, that, that's the old way. The new, the new mode of worship is not that we make sacrifices to God, but God makes a sacrifice for us. That's mind-blowing, that we're the ones who are being sacrificed for, not the other way around. That's a total inversion. Um, 
again, excess, what, and what form does that excess take? Takes place in, in the Eucharist, this unmerited gift of sacrifice being made for us every time at Mass. Um, we're not necessarily giving ourselves at Mass. Christ is giving himself to us. Um, that that kind of struck me uh, upon reading. Yeah, that's a that's another good another great point, and it's why it's the same reason why when you walk into a Catholic church, you see you see a cross. Um, so the the means of death, you see a tomb. You know, their mass is has been celebrated many times, like on the graves, on the tombstones of martyrs. Like that's a, that's a play, that's the altar that's used for mass. And so that's why it's usually marble and it's like resembling a tombstone. But what you're doing is you're part, you're participating in the life, the death and the resurrection. Every time you go through that ceremony, it's the, it's that you are, you're celebrating a death that leads to this resurrection. Um, and then we get to participate in that same sacrifice, right? So like that same sort of dying is, is it's not like Christ does that for us. And then it's the end of the story. Then it's in, we're actually invited into it, which is weird, right? Like that's, that's the hard part of Christianity. It's that, it's that participation in death. Um, and that's weird to even say, like you get to, Hey, like, you know, I'm going to do this thing. And then you get to, you get to do this thing too, but it also means a participation in resurrection. Right. Um, and so they, there's a continuous, there's a building of that, that concept. In one of the more morbid parts of the New Testament and in the Passion Narrative, again, focusing on this theme of pain and suffering and cruelty, uh, but that there's something beyond it, is when Christ's side is opened up on the cross. And I felt like we had to talk about this because it connects back to Eden and Eden Revisited, but do you want to do you want to talk about this, Austin? Like you'd probably say it better than me. But when Christ's side is opened up, it's emblematic of of Adam, right? Because it's it's the rib where Eve, you know, it's it's from his side that Eve came, and so it's from his side that Adam and Eve, you know, they they came to be, and so there's a receptivity between Adam and Eve, right? Um, so you have the receptivity of the two, the the two that become one flesh, and then it's from the it's from Christ's side that we get the receptivity of the church. So it's blood and water that come from his side. Right. And so this is Christ giving us the church, the Eucharist, right. The, the means of that receptivity as well. Um, Cause it's the church that is the, is the bridegroom. Um, mm-hmm. And so you get that same sort of, that same sort of uh, participation acceptance um, idea of, of the two of the two there. Um, I don't know if that was what you're going for, but that's, yeah. that's one way to well, think about well, it. Yeah, just when Adam's side is opened up, a new creation comes forth, a new kind of mankind, if you will, woman comes forth. And when Christ's side is opened up, you know, a new possibility for mankind is opened up. You know, you mentioned blood and water, you know, this, the sacraments through the church, baptism, uh, Eucharist, right? Those things, it's, it's, a, it's entirely new possibility, again, that we can't conjure up for ourselves. Uh, and, and that's super key. It's something we accept. And that's, I, you know, if anything, I think that's the hardest thing of all of this. It's, it's once you accept these things, you kind of have to deal with like, I mean, it's always a process of it, process of accepting, but once you accept, once you get past that first initial, maybe hurdle of faith, it, you know, it doesn't necessarily get easier, but it's the problem changes. It's that acceptance that is so hard 
and I, I know like just in my own life, like that, it's like that, ex- like getting into the mindset of accepting something. There's a really good line that Ratzinger has that he says, like, accordingly, from the point of view of the Christian faith, man comes to the most profound sense of himself, not through what he does, but through what he accepts. And it's like, it's that concept in and of itself is so hard, but I know we talked about that. It's just, it's worth emphasizing. Well, it's, it's, it was hard for the greatest minds ever as well, who called themselves Christian. And we talked about this before the podcast, but Blaise Pascal, right? One of the greatest scientists and philosophers and, and whatnot. This was super hard for him to accept someone who is rational and, and uses logic and deduction and, and proofs and all these things. So what he had to do to con- continue to remind himself to accept is he wrote on a little piece of paper and put it in his breast pocket so it'd always be with him that God is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, not the God of philosophers and scholars. We can't philosophize to God. We can't, well, we we can, but it doesn't re- lead to a true relationship, which this whole thing relies on. Uh, Otherwise, you know, it's just, it's just kind of a nice idea, but Christianity is, it's not an idea. It's, it's a person. So, you know, find a way to remind yourself of that. Pascal, little note to self. Yeah. Pascal, a lot of good stuff. I would, I would love to read more of his, of his work, but yeah, good, good note. Yeah. Um, I'm just, I'm just trying to think uh, anything else uh, on, on here that I wanted to cover, but you know, maybe one final point, major misconception today is that, well, if it's, if it's about love, then I'm just going to love my neighbor and, and that's enough. I think both of us see that and we see that even within, I I see that within my faith community, within the school. Uh, You know, I'm going to send my kids to Catholic education because we want them to get good values and we want them to be good people and we want them to love. Sure. Great. But that's not going to lead to salvation. Uh, brotherly love, that fraternal love is not enough. There's kind of this egoism involved in thinking that I can self-assert myself into someone else's life and, and change them by my love. Uh, um, there, it's, it's, it's not, it's going to be a dead end. Like, sure, you might do great deeds for someone else, but love without faith becomes self-righteousness. Um, why are you doing it? Um, so it, it has to go beyond and any source of love that we have <laughs> is external. Um, we can only love because we've been loved. Yeah. Love, love requires a Trinity. Like it requires you like you, the person you love, and then a higher thing into unto which there there's like a force, you know, uh, unto which you want their good to go. And so love requires an anchor um, in that to understand the anchor, one must have faith. Like you can't understand the anchor of where, where you hope, what you hope for this person without faith. Otherwise the anchor is just physical. It's like, I, I hope this person has a lot of money or I hope this person gets really like, is really like becomes really smart in some way. And it's like, well, that's a very shallow anchor. 
versus I hope that for the salvation or I love this person unto salvation, um, unto participation in the divine life, divine life being the anchor. I think there's something of like faith allows us to see that anchor and gets us beyond just the physical, like what we see in the physical world as anchors. Right. Um, did you read, uh, did you read, uh, uh, the great divorce with the mother and have you read the great divorce i have not read it yet it's also on my reading list yeah it's a good they, oh there's just a short little thing in here about this woman uh, this mother who's in hell and she gets all these opportunities to leave hell but um she won't because she demands that her son comes down there so she can like love him and you know she won't leave until he's there right and he's in heaven we don't know where he is or maybe we do it's been a while since i've read it but she just won't leave and because she has this like sort of weird perverted idea that love is sufficient in herself and it's like mm -hmm. and it what she can't draw her out of where she is um so i think to go to your point you need the eyes of faith as well certainly well how was that for a a, a book conversation that was six months late does that does that suffice <laughs> the rust is like slowly falling off and um i'm trying to remember all the things i read it's all very you know all very chunky at this point but um no it's great book and i i think anyone who has the time and desire should should pick it up for sure take some notes it's not it's not a one day read but it's uh it's a great book yeah i i felt more convicted at the end uh you know i'm it is rewarding to do what I'm doing. Uh, it's, it's a grind. It's, it's kind of a trudge, but you know, you do it in community and there, there is a reward. So not here. We're earthly losers, uh, but hopefully we can be heavenly winners. That's, that's the point. <laughs> earthly losers, heavenly winners. <laughs> I like it. Uh, spread out Austin. Sprout outs to my two good friends, um, Tyler and Monica, who are going to listen to this pod uh, and who just got engaged. Um, so to their health, wealth, and well-being. Excellent. And their salvation. We'll just throw that in there, too. Of course. Of course. Uh, sprout out first to my friend Trevor Ellis, who just got married to his beautiful wife now, Rachel, in San Diego. It was a fabulous wedding. Super fun to see him. So spread out to you guys, uh, to your salvation and to your eternal happiness. Uh, and then also to Father Richard, who's the pastor of St. Alphonsus, and it is his last day on July 1st. He's been reassigned to Corpus Christi, Texas, and he's been serving as the pastor of St. Alice for the last four years, and he's a stud. Uh, I'm going to miss him. He's uh, a missionary priest, I guess you'd call it, for the Society of Our Lady of the Most Holy Trinity, with the Salt Order. Uh, you might know Sister Miriam James and uh, some other great salt uh, priests or religious. Um, so we should, we should get her on the pod. Oh man, that's aspirational. Yeah, that would be that'd be big time. I could probably work some salt connections though. Let's see. There you go. Um, spread out, Father Richard. Anything else? I think that's it. It's a wrap. All right. I guess we conclude as we always do by saying Saint Isidore. Pray for us. All right. See you, everybody. See ya.
Thank you.